Good morning. So this morning we're going to once again expand the instructions to include working with emotions. Um, But before bringing that forward, there's a few things that have occurred to me that need to be said. So very appropriately and generously, Jill last night in the opening of her talk located herself socially in relationship to both the way of doing that here in the United States and the way of doing that there in New Zealand. It occurred to me that, uh, and Jill used this term, it was uh, dropped out or forgotten. Um, you know, and, and the, the ancestors have been speaking to me, both um, out of my own mind, but also in response to hearing some things from some of you, like Laurie on that, Laura on that first day asking me the question, and one of you submitting an uh, observation, which wasn't quite a question, but it was an observation. And it occurred to me that we actually didn't acknowledge and bring awareness to the fact that um, not only are we on a land that was cultivated and lived on by peoples way before any of us got here, no matter how we got here, depending on our ancestry, but we're actually in a state that is named for one of the peoples that lived on this land. You know, I I think that that's something, you know, that I tend to not forget, but just want to bring forward for you, and this is all in the conversation about practice, how for myself and this body, I came into the retreat on that Tuesday directly from a conference at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. That was the first conference for black African descent Buddhist teachers. So my body was really chill. And my mind was really calm. And I'd had the opportunity to presence myself within a community that um, engages and works with the struggles of that particular way of manifesting in this lifetime. And then, boom, I landed at IMS on Tuesday, and I look out, and it's a predominantly white community of yogis, and it's a predominantly white staff, and my body went to Z-Zone, and I forgot. This is what we practice for, right? So I forgot in the introduction is that one of the things that is necessary in these times and in this day is to acknowledge that there were people living here way before Columbus discovered America. So with that said, the peoples that uh, lived this land were all part of the Algonquin language family the Wampanoag, the Narragansett, the Nipmucks, the Pocomtoc, the Mahican, 
and the Massachusetts people lived throughout this land. And it's because of their stewardship and cultivation um, and their inclining into balance with nature that we get to enjoy all this beauty around here. So I wanted to bring that forward. The other thing I want to bring forward, uh, just you know, so because this practice is about uncovering, seeing things clearly, seeing the unseen, knowing the unknown. So in addition to acknowledging the original peoples who inhabited this land, what this land that we uh, walk and engage with here also holds is the historical component of enslavement of people. I didn't know this until I looked this up this morning, but Massachusetts was the first colony in New England where slave ownership was implemented. So it wasn't South Carolina, wasn't Georgia, wasn't Virginia, it was Massachusetts where that particular story began here in this country for all of us. And then the third thing that I want to presence in terms of Massachusetts, especially since Halloween is coming tomorrow, is that this state, out of all the other states in the United States, had the most horrific witch hunt established and known. So as we are engaging with this practice, and if you remember in my Dharma talk, I spoke about how Martin Luther King spoke to the fact that we are all interconnected. As we work with our own healing and our own traumas and our own histories and our own conditions and our own causes, to remember we're rubbing up against all of that as well. That we do not exist outside of the connection. So that leads me to say this other thing. You know, Jill, last night, I didn't do it. Clearly, you can see that, depending on what's happening in your body right now. (laughs) But last night, Jill gave a disclaimer, a trigger warning. And all too often, that, that, that word, I, I had to look it up. Like, so, so what are we trying to protect people from? Oh, uh, seeing things clearly? Uh, uh, isn't that the basis of this practice? Oh, uh, yeah, right. So I looked up trigger. And yeah, you know, I mean, there's a, a really, uh, Utejaniya speaks to this, a, a real, and I, I have taken this on as part of my practice, a real welcoming when something sets me off. Because the opportunity I then have is to find some space around being disempowered and run by the creations and machinations of this mind-body system. So anything that any of us might say that gets in there and causes something to happen for you, 
take care, place it in the practice, and as best you can, turn towards it. And even if you can't turn to embrace the all of it, then slice it thin and take a piece because those places are the places that are actually running us and perpetuating this challenging and difficult, oftentimes, road that we've all chosen to walk. Practice is just difficult, and Jill talked about courage last night, but I pretty much can depend on the fact that everyone that's here created this for themselves. No one gets forced to go somewhere for three months unless you break the law (laughs) and have to go and be incarcerated. So everyone here, your practice brought you here. The Dharma brought you here, the wisdom, the innate wisdom of understanding that there is a way to live and be in this world such that it intervenes or resolves our own suffering as well as gives us access to engaging with other beings to contribute to the lessening of suffering for us all. So a trigger actually is not something to avoid. And if we listen to ourselves as we talk in our practice meetings and as we uh, listen to our own minds as we're walking, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid seeing things as they are. Because it's actually from that position of being empowered that you get to then do it different, to not tumble into the story to not tumble into the history. So a few other things, a few other words about practice. So you know this practice is an incremental practice, like it doesn't happen overnight. And Jill told us that story last night about her chopping buddy, the woman who uh, became sober through engaging with the Dharma and the practice. But what I want to point out is she didn't just show up at a retreat and then she became sober. There was a lot of incremental steps, whether they were literal physical steps or steps of um, evolution in her own mind and heart that she cultivated and that moved her towards success with disengaging from a habit that basically was killing her. So to remember, like, where you are today won't be where you are tomorrow. And if you keep doing the practice, just like the athlete, right? You know, some of these professional athletes, and you all are professional, to come to a three-month retreat, that's professional, right? I'm not trying to support hierarchy, but that's professional. (laughs) So professional athletes, you know, they train, they practice, and oftentimes, so that, you know, on, on the game day or at the, at the time of the, the match or whatever, they can bring it. But a lot of the times between that time of preparation for the match, they are sitting in ice, tubs of ice, 
you know, they're getting massages. There's all these components that try to address the pain of success sometimes. You know, so we're in, in, in a sense, we're like athletes, like we're engaged in this practice. And I even like to think that we as teachers even, you know, I, I was, uh, I did a retreat with Utejaniya and, you know, we were in our meeting. He does it a little bit different. So there were like 20 of us in this meeting and that's how the Dharma talk happens. And everyone had to report in. And I said something like, oh, I get it. You're like a coach. And you're da 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 He's like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, there's a fine distinction between this quality of teaching and coaching and mentoring, which are all included in our engagement with you as we support you in finding, uh, finding your way in this practice. So when you have a coach, I don't know, you know, some of you may have had, had been or are um, athletes or um, Musicians, any, anywhere where you're working with someone who's giving you pointers, who's looking at what you're doing and say, oh, there might be an improvement here if you try this on. And, you know, when we're invested and engaged with, with mastery, you do it. You try it on. You move through it and you see if it really supports the evolution and development and cultivation of whatever the activity is that you're engaged with, and you make an assessment. You discern, like, this doesn't really, but you try it on. This practice is about deconstructing and reconstructing the nervous system. You know, we've been talking about body and breath, but even in talking about thoughts and emotions, you know, they, uh, there's a body correlation. And too often we forget to actually listen to the body as a way of discerning whether we're engaged with skillful means or non-skillful means. There's a rewiring that's happening. And even before that, which kind of sits for me as where we are still um, um, sitting, is a detoxing. You know, even if you've been here already for six weeks, it just gets subtler and subtler and subtler in terms of this detox. So we detox, we deconstruct, we rewire such that then the training, the practice lands on fertile soil. Also to Remember that this system, this practice that we're engaged with is just one of the wisdom traditions. One of the wisdom traditions that through the uh, experience and commitment of the original practitioner, practitioners has come to us because there's this, I'm aware of this kind of um, this back and forth or this, uh, I don't know what, quite what the word is, but this rubbing in relationship to practice being concentrated and practicing, practice developing insight. Like somehow they're diametrically opposed. 
So enough said. I'm going to tell you a little bit about working with emotions. So from one perspective, you know, to understand that emotions are energy, energy in the body and in the mind. So, you know, we don't necessarily think of emotions as mind connected. That's not how it's understood so much in this culture, in this, in this place. Um, and for uh, probably not just the U.S., in, 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 in many countries, you know, emotions are loaded. You know, we're taught to repress them, not have them, not express them. However, emotions are an important part of our being and that they give us information. They give us information about our inner and outer experience. And then that supports the cognitive mind to understand and then act more skillfully. Emotions that don't get titrated, that don't move through the body, actually become the places of reactivity. And that's one of the things we're working to dissolve to get a handle on. In this modern day culture, there's a lot of uh, uh, judgment and restrictions around our emotional life. And oppositionally so, emotional maturity is often conventionally defined as being able to master one's emotions and on a deeper level to not even feel them. We've often been told not to feel a certain way. The reality is that many of us live lives shut off from our emotions and at times are at their mercy because whether we're present to feeling them and experiencing them, they're driving us. So with that thought, this understanding that here too is another domain where... um, For many of us, we are being driven, points to another opportunity to welcome and to see this so that we are the ones that are driving our lives and creating it. So essential to this process of turning towards the emotions, whether they be difficult or joyful and pleasant, is to explore how they manifest in the body. You know, one of the opportunities on retreat, and particularly a blessing to be on long retreat, is you get to start to be able to have the nuances of clarity and understanding of how this body-mind manifests. What are our habituated patterns? What are the conditions and causes that set certain patterns into motion? Sometimes uh, we can get lost and it's difficult engaging with any of this, the body, thoughts, emotions, particularly if you're somebody which, in my opinion, as a therapist and a mindfulness teacher, is probably about 95% of the population have some kind of trauma. And really all trauma is, is the 
end of the spectrum of stress. It's not that trauma is some different suffering than any other suffering. It's just the degree of intensity and the, the impact on the nervous system. And I expand trauma to include grief. If it becomes difficult as you move through the sit, Jill mentioned yesterday about finding a neutral place with the body. And so I am reiterating that, that sometimes even the breath is not enough to give us some space around some difficulty we may be traversing at any given moment in our practice. And if that's the case, whether you're sitting, whether you're walking, whether you're standing, or whether you're laying, identify a place on the body, perhaps an elbow, maybe an earlobe, you know, even finding a place about the size of a quarter on the shin or the shoulder and using that as your anchor, using that as the place to settle once again so that you can then marshal the energy and the effort to go back and re-engage with whatever might have been difficult. So we are training this mind and this body to be at ease with the present conditions and to open to the full range of our experience. We do this over and over, recognizing the patterns and relaxing and releasing the tensions that come often with feelings, with thinking, with emotions. We have to strike a balance between avoiding or pushing away the difficult and painful on the one hand, or succumbing to or drowning in it. The process requires patience, gentleness, and kindness. This is what allows us then eventually to bring discernment, brings wisdom, brings clarity, brings understanding. So just now as we move more into the other way of manifesting in the sitting, because we've been sitting since 8.15, even though there's been many words, just noticing how the body and the heart has been engaging with this particular experience of this sit. Opportunity to make any adjustments you might want to make. And just to settle in and relax and just notice, notice how the body, notice how the heart, notice how the mind is in this moment. Hmm. Notice if your concentration has been disturbed, disturbed by life happening. This is the way things are right now. The field of mindfulness and wisdom. 
settling, arriving, noticing the changing experience, continuing in community, cultivating the intention of wisdom and compassion, gentle settling in with the breath, receiving, hands touching body, here and now, receptive ease, collectedness, settledness, home, an invitation, establish connection with experience, with ease, receptive quality, receiving the breath, receiving the body sitting, appreciating the moment of waking up. Powerful because there is a choice. Sensations of breathing, sensations of the body, an ever-deepening softening into the seeing of how things are, an uncomplicated anchor, hearing, a toe, an elbow, a sense of ease without force, not trying to force any particular experience, the practice of presence, walking, how to be present and connected in movement, the speed that keeps your attention, lifting, moving, placing, the nature of things. Know you are sitting, standing, breathing. More simply, know there is a body. Warmth, coolness, tension. Invite ease and relaxation. Letting the eyes rest in the eye socket. Letting the awareness rest. Soft mental noting. Sitting, there is a body. A gentle framing of the attention. The sound of silence, the space between sound, receiving the sensations of the breath, long or short, deep or shallow. It's not unusual on retreat for doubt and resistance to show up. 
this practice is a blend of tranquility, ease, and alert present. Dharma wayfares, body and mind. Good luck with the hindrances too. Deepest intention. What am I doing here? Explore and enjoy. Sati and Samadhi. Mindfulness and stability of mind. Flexibility. Sometimes zoomed in in a very focused way, sometimes zooming out. The receptive quality of mindfulness. The directive quality of mindfulness. Body as the hub of the wheel. Come home. Come home to the body. Bring awareness to the hub of the wheel. A mind training. Knowing you are breathing in, knowing you are breathing out. Inclining in the direction of ease. Stabilizing the mind. Opening up the field of awareness. The second dart. Flexibility of practice.
in this last few moments of the sit. Some of you may have been doing this already. It's just another offering in terms of what might be useful in terms of practice. Just taking a moment to see if it fits and aligns to set an intention for yourself for the day. Maybe something like um, intention to be kind to yourself. Maybe an intention to, as best you can, turn towards the difficult. Maybe an intention to engage with every walking period today. Whatever resonates and feels that it could be useful for the cultivation of your practice. Ending our sit with a poem for you by John O'Donohue, another of our Irish poets who understood. The poem is entitled For Courage. When the light around you lessens, and your thoughts darken until your body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside. When you find yourself bereft of any belief in yourself and all you unknowingly learned and have leaned on has fallen. When one voice commands your whole heart and it is raven dark Steady yourself and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your world. Search and you will find a diamond thought of light. Know that you are not alone and that this darkness has purpose. Gradually, it will school your eyes to find the one gift your life requires, hidden within this night corner. Invoke the learning of every suffering you have suffered. Close your eyes, gather all the kindling about your heart to create one spark. That is all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its weight of festered fear. A new confidence will come alive to urge you towards higher ground. 
where your imagination will learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold. So I've already engaged with one of the observances that was left for us, and that was around the corrections that needed to happen. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.